This is Joe Burns. And Beth West. Hey, thank you for listening to the Rock School Radio Podcast. We think you'll learn something. Now remember, if you want to hear the show with all the music in place, go to kslu.org and stream the show live. Thursdays at 5 and Sundays at 4. It's a new show every week. Now enjoy this week's Rock School Radio Show. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. It's time for school. Rock school with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. And it says here, don't do it or you're going to die. And Beth West. I don't believe you're Beth West. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah. Class is in. It's the Rock School Radio Show, and I I don't believe you're Beth West. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah, wow. <laughs> no, no, no. You know, I I just haven't had my morning uh you know pack of cigarettes today. So it sounds like you've had many morning packs of cigarettes. And <laughs> no, uh, no. I am Todd Delaney filling in for uh, Beth West today. Right. Beth has uh, decided to go on vacation, which puts her job in jeopardy. No, no, it doesn't, because uh, I have to go on vacation here fairly soon. But uh, we're doing a couple shows in advance, so uh, Todd's going to sit in for uh, lovely Beth West uh, while she's out doing, uh, I don't know, apparently she's uh, she's heading off to Amsterdam or something like that. And I, I don't know what they do in Amsterdam. Uh, I'm Joe Burns, uh, so we're going to do this Rock School radio show for you. It's the summer, and, and by the way, happy hurricane season. Oh, thank you very much. Is, yes, looking I, forward to it. A I big love one this hurricane year. season. I've planted my hurricanes. I'm hoping they come up nicely. Oh, is that right? That's we ship right. them off to Mississippi. We do. What we do is we uh, we harvest them. Uh, a little bit of olive oil. Mm, hurricanes oh, nice. are fantastic. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what we do over the summer here on the Rock School Radio Show, if you've been listening for any length of time, uh, you might know this already. I like to take and create an extended topic. We did uh, a song for every number 1 to 100 one time. We did a, a, a song for every State of the Union one time. So for this extended show, here's the concept. When you go to see a concert, and you've seen many concerts. Of sure, course. absolutely. Sure. Yeah, plenty. When you go to see a concert, everything up on that stage has a history to it. Every guitar, every drum kit, every thing that makes a noise. Even the stage itself. The stage itself, right. So what I've done is I've got about 15 pages of notes for just about everything you see on that stage. So I don't know if this is going to go three shows or four shows. It depends on how quickly we get through it. But what I've done is I've I've gone on Facebook and I said, what's on a stage? What are the things that when you go to a concert, you see? And each thing that the people stated, I went and researched as a history. So we'll start with when you go to see a concert. Normally, they sort of put everything around this, the drum kit. Sure. Right? Exploding drummers. Are we going to talk about exploding drummers? The spinal tap method, right? Uh, sure, yeah, absolutely. Stubby peeps right. who exploded into it, yeah. No, we'll start with the drum kit itself, obviously known as a drum kit because I just called it that, or sometimes a trap kit. 
Hmm. Uh, have you ever heard it called a trap kit? Never heard it called a trap kit. I hadn't either, but when I started doing the research into it, it came up as a trap kit, and I'll tell you why it's called a trap kit. We'll play a song, come back, start with it. This guy is generally known as the person who started, or at least set the pattern, the rubric for rock drumming. This is John Bond. It's uh, Good Times, Bad Times, right here at Zeppelin in High School. Talking about the drum kit as we start moving through all the elements on the stage and the history of it. Known as a drum kit or a trap kit. Now remember, back in the early 1900s or before the 1900s, there was no drum kit. Right. Right. When drums were played, each individual drum was played by a separate person, like sure. a marching band. Absolutely. A like, lot of people. Right. Like a military drum. In the early 1900s, drummers were beginning to put these things together. Why? Because in vaudeville time, they were trying to save money and they didn't have a lot of space. So instead of being able to hire nine, ten people to go into this little space, they could only hire one drummer. All right. So a drummer would actually get together, put these things close to him, and sort of as a one-man band, begin to play all the drums himself. Okay. Okay. So you got the concept coming together through vaudeville or through burlesque. Okay. In the early 1900s, you started to see machinery being invented. The first big thing that was invented was something that allowed you to play with your feet, i.e., uh, William F. Ludwig and his brother Theodore Ludwig, they, find the, uh, they founded the Ludwig and Ludwig Company in 1909 and patented the first workable bass drum pedal. All right. So you could step on it and it would send forward a mallet to hit a large drum, you're standing there. And since for the career of uh, Def Leppard, of course. Exactly, because, you know, when you're a one-armed drummer, you got to use your feet. Sure. Thus, the term kick drum mm. comes around. Now, by World War I, huge contraptions were being built to hold this huge array of drums. Contraption, the word gets knocked down to the word trap. Right. Thus, they're called Trap kits. Trap kits. So there it's not go. just trapping your career. No, no. It's a trap kit. Oh, okay. There you are. Uh, I'll give you one more. We'll play another song and come back. In 1918, the Ludwig Company is the first to begin marketing complete drum sets consisting of a bass drum, a snare, a cymbal, and a wooden block. Later, it adds tom-toms, a cowbell, a two-tone block, and a triangle. It isn't until 1926 that the hi-hat is created, basically equaling the concept of symbols, where a guy stands there and smashes sure. two symbols together. Oh, yeah. It was immediately called the low boy because it only stood 12 inches tall. Good Individual symbols were already on stands, but the, the hi-hat thing was only 12 inches tall. It wouldn't be until about 10 years later that somebody moved it up till it was shoulder height, so you could tap it with the right hand with sticks and also play the snare along with it. So the low boy grew into the hi-hat. The low boy grew into the hi-hat. Yep. Mm. I'll give you one more here. 
In the 1920s, New Orleans drummers began using what they termed fly swatters. Okay. Any idea? Do you play drums at all? Oh, absolutely. Do you? No, not, you no, absolutely not. Yeah. No, wire brushes. Okay, yeah. yeah. Instead of mallets, they would take these brushes that were just a series of little metal things sticking out of the end of a, a piece of wood and were playing with them. And they called them fly swatters and they became wire brushes. Nice. So, I mean, there's a history behind all of this stuff. I got a whole lot more here on the drum kit, but let's play another one. Uh, another drummer you need to know, Carl Palmer was with the Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Here he is with Asia. Time again on Rockstar. that get said off air. Yeah. <laughs> Continuing with the drums, uh, it is uh, a guy named Gene Krupa, according to a couple of websites that I found, including the National Jazz Workshop, among other places, credits this guy Gene Krupa with popularizing being a drummer. In fact, he was the first drummer to actually front a band. I mm. love Gene Krupa. You know huge. Him, oh, absolutely, man. Do you man. really? Yeah. I, you used to work at a, no, I used to work at a jazz radio station. Gene Krupa was huge, man. Perfect. I love that guy. Yeah. Perfect. He standardized the drum setup that jazz drummers still use today, uh, 24 or 26 inch bass drum, 14 inch snare drum, 9 by 13 small toms mounted on the shell of the bass drum, and a 16 inch floor tom. That's it. Gene Krupa. That's the kit that most people will play with. Uh, he invented toms with skin on both sides. Mm -hmm. Before then, the skins were not on both sides. Right. He also popularized what's known as the rim shot, whereby the drummer hits the rim and the head at the same time, giving an extremely loud crack, right, yeah. which you didn't get beforehand. Huh. Uh, where did the cymbals come from? According to this, the Zildjian Company did not begin making cymbals as musical instruments until the 19th century. Then around 1928... Uh, these, are, these are the guys that, that did hubcaps, right? Right. <laughs> hubcaps, and then you think like so? we're not selling enough hubcaps. Let's uh, let's do let's something. Let's start with making this. symbols. Sure. Uh, around 1928, a guy named Avidus Zildjian the Third. So there are two other people that were given the name Avidus. Huh. Sorry about that. Uh, they began manufacturing symbols in the U.S. He's also credited with uh, giving the names to the symbols. The ride, the crash, the splash. Okay. All came from uh, Zildjian. Man, sounds like a ride I want to ride. It is. Is that a Disney this year? It is. Okay. It's a, it's an e-ticket ride, and if you can find a disabled person, they can jump you right to the front of the line. Well, good for them. In the 1950s, the invention of the synthetic drum head was created. Uh, any idea what it was made out of before? Uh, I'm going to go old, with uh, old, uh, dead old dead drummers. Right, <laughs> old dead goodness. drummers. No, it was wow. uh, calfskin 
before and what they could do. Yeah, which is too bad because, yeah. you know, what do you do with the rest of the cast? Exactly. God knows. Hmm. Uh, you could now get different sounds because it could be uh, put tighter. And then finally, the nylon tip stick was invented in 1970. Also in the 1970s, acrylic drums came out, and a guy named John Bonham popularized them. So that's huh. what I found about the drum kit. Brilliant. So when you're standing there watching a concert, now you know as much about the drum kit as you can possibly turn, you know, know and you can turn to the guy next to you and say, did you know? And he could say, shut up. Yeah, you're going to be yeah, a hit at parties. Concert going on right up there. Shut up. Uh, let's play one from another good drummer. This is from Yes, ladies and gentlemen, right here in Moscow. first break here on Rock School as we're doing our first extended show of the summer. Now, we're all done with the with the trap The drum, We're drums. all done with no the drums. Traps. Okay, all moving right. along. Rather than move on to another instrument, let's talk about something else. Atmospheric effects. Ooh, wow. Meteorology? Oh, yes. Meteorology, oh, right. Because wow. it rains on bad shows. <laughs> uh no, have you been to a show where there is fog, where there is haze, sure, where there is dry ice? Right, glitter. Right, sure, glitter. Right. Yeah, yeah, Gary glitter. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And uh, things he does when he's <laughs> on stage. Uh, mm. Let's talk about these things, what they are, how they work. Dry ice. What's the difference between dry ice, just the physical appearance? What's the right. difference between dry ice and fog? Um, I'm thinking not much. Not much? Fog literally fogs an entire area. Dry ice is heavier than air, thus it stays on the ground. So it looks like you're walking on a cloud if you're using dry ice. Fog fogs everything. Okay. But there's also fog and there's haze. Right. There's a difference between the two of them. And there's also smoke. Right. So this all matters. And it it matters because of how it's made and sucking this stuff into your lungs. Okay, So right. let's, let's get started on to a few of these. We'll start with dry ice. This is the one that stays down towards the ground. Sure, covers your it's shoes. Heavier, right, it's heavier than water. Dry ice makes it because of cold temperatures. Normally, when you get dry ice, it is created somewhere around 109 to minus 178 degrees. Minus 109 to minus 178 degrees. You've been taking physics classes here, huh? No, actually, I went to a website that told me. Okay. You then throw it into hot water. It creates a cloud of true water vapor fog. And lots of oohs and ahs. And lots of oohs and ahs. Haven't you ever seen this around, I guess, Halloween? Halloween, absolutely. You throw a little tiny piece of of dry ice into a drink and it bubbles. Sure. But if you put too much, it actually puts a, a, a... a, a, a line of ice oh, yeah, on right. top of the drink. Yeah. Complete failure. Yeah. Uh, when the water gets colder than 50 degrees, the dry ice stops making fog. So the modern day machines have water that is being electrically heated to stay at a specific temperature huh. because at different temperatures, different amounts of and different thicknesses of fog are then blown out. All right. You and- can... And you, people are actually paid to make these things, you right? Got you it. actually sit down and study right. this. And, wow. You can also do the same thing with liquid nitrogen. 
Really? Right. All the right. problem is liquid nitrogen is much more volatile <laughs> a little bit? than, yeah, yeah, dry than ice, the yeah. dry ice. The yeah. only thing you got to worry about with dry ice is wearing gloves or you'll you know cold burn your fingers. Sure. So just throw it in and when you run out, throw more in and off it'll go. The other thing is you have to have a fan to blow it where you want it to go. Other than that, nothing to it. And what comes out is water. Right. So no trouble breathing it in. Sure. So... Fine. Environmentally safe. Environmentally safe. Wonderful. Brilliant. Let's do the break. We'll come back and we'll start talking about the stuff that... (coughs) Are you okay? It's not good for the breathing sacs in your chest. (laughs) Hello, Radio Universidad, Salamanca, Spain. Thanks for running the radio show. L-O-K-L-S-U in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. You used to work there, didn't you? I actually did, yeah. Yeah. Guys, I'm really sorry. Yeah, you used to run that place, I kind of a little bit, yeah, yeah. Screwed it up. They're they're much better now. Yeah. Yeah. Catch us on Facebook, search Rock School radio show and like us you really like us back in a minute to talk about fog on rock school Coming out of the break, I told you we would discuss fog and how fog works. All right. Okay. I'm going to do fog and then I'm going to do haze. Okay. Because the two of them are somewhat similar. Fog is not dry ice. Fog is produced when you get a fog machine. Fog fills a space. Sure. It goes everywhere. Fog is produced by making a glycol and water mixture. Ooh, okay. what's that, glycol? I right, I had that yeah. at the bar last week. <laughs> you did. I'd like that with a twist. Uh, glycol is mainly sugar and cellulose. Hmm. Okay, right. It's generally harmless, so says the side of the bottle, sure. unless breathed over long periods of time. Ask Stephen Tyler. Oh, okay. I, I kid you not. Really? Stephen Tyler states that he's having trouble with his voice and his lungs because he has sucked this stuff into his body <laughs> over. The fog. Extreme periods of time. The drugs right. haven't done it. It was the fog. Sure. Okay. Sure. Right. Uh, what you do is you simply heat the mixture until it vaporizes and then out it goes. Uh, the difference between the two of them is dry ice is water. Right. It makes things wet. Uh-huh. Whereas this fog creates an oily feeling. It's it's sugar. Right. It's whatever air it candy. Basically, you've got candy floating <laughs> in the air, right? right? It, it is. Uh, I did a, when my wife and I were still going out and doing disc jockey work, we were asked to get a fogger for a wedding. Right. And the bride was upset because she had an extremely lacy dress. Sure. And it, it felt weird on the lace. Basically, we were blowing cellulose and sugar onto this woman's dress. <laughs> and bees attacked her, huh? <laughs> That's right. Oh they goodness. came out of nowhere. Okay, now what is haze? Mm-hmm. Haze is also the same thing. It fills a room. Right. Except what you're doing is running mineral oil okay. through a highly compressed sprayer creating a vapor. Okay. Mineral oil. Right. So not good to suck into your lungs right. and not good for equipment. Okay. Why use it? Yeah. It reflects light fantastically. Oh, okay. Think lasers. Sure. Right. So when you put a fog out there, 
I'm sure it does neat things with light. Right. But you put up haze. Uh, ooh, ooh, the pretty ooh, stuff, huh? Ooh, oh, oh, nice. Yes, yes. So you got to play a song for fog and haze. What do you do? Well, how about fog hat? Huh? Oh, all right. Oh, witty. Yeah. <laughs> nice. No, it's, 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 it's yeah. full for the city here on Rockstar. Bottom of the hour here on Rockstar. Let's take a real quick break from talking about atmospheric effects. Believe it or not, I have one more. We'll do it real quick right out of this. This is 7 Days, 70 Seconds. Let's do the name one more time. I'm Joe Burns. You I'm are? I'm Todd Delaney. You certainly are. We're doing these dates for 7 Days, 70 Seconds. June 3rd all the way through June 9th. Something that happened on each one of these dates in history. I believe you have Monday. Go. Here we go. June 3rd, 1990. Michael Jackson is admitted to St. John's Hospital with chest pains. Oh, God. Turns out, though, that it wasn't a heart attack. He simply hurt himself dancing. Oh, I do that all the time. Oh, I do too. Basically, I bite my lip too hard. Really? What, yes. My goodness. June 4th, 1994, the body of Jeff Buckley is found floating in a harbor leading to the Mississippi. June 5th, 2007, ju jurors were shown the bloody revolver found at the feet of Lana Clarkson as the Phil Spector trial got underway in California. June 6th, 1971, The Ed Sullivan Show airs for the last time. Gladys Knight and the Pips with a musical guest. Oh, man. June 7th, 1995, Radiohead guitarist Johnny Greenwood admitted to the hospital after his ear was found to be leaking blood. Ew. The cause? An excessive arm movement from guitar playing. <laughs> What? He and Michael Jackson were in the same room. Feeble folk up on stage. <laughs> June 8th, 1989, at a Greenpeace press conference, genius Chrissy Hind admits that she firebombed a McDonald's in Milton Keys, England. At that time, the case was unsolved, and shortly after, Chrissy was contacted by the authorities. And then finally, June 9th, 1990, MC Hammer's album, Please Don't Hurt Him, Hammer, starts an unprecedented 21-week stay at the top of the U.S. album chart. It was, to that point in time, the longest stay at number one of any album. And nobody's pants were ever tight again. You know, did you, have you seen, what's the name of the guy that sings, sings Gundam style? Was his name Psy? Sure, yeah. Have you seen him lately? Uh, yes, I have, actually. He's wearing MC Hammer Love pants. Love that, yeah. Got to bring it back. Mm. All right, back to atmospheric effects. I'll do this one real quick. Smoke. Ooh. We've already done dry ice. We've done fog. We've done haze. Smoke. Caused by fire? Exactly. Huh. Smoke is smoke. Really? You burn something. It's it's generally made by something called a smoke cookie. Okay. It's round. It's about, oh, I don't know, three inches across. You light it, and it's specifically made to burn and produce smoke. So produced by the Sara Lee Company. Yeah, yes, here, it put is. Put this cookie in and uh, bake it 450 degrees. Until it produces smoke. Uh, depending on what kind you buy, it will produce the smoke you want. Pink, blue, white, green, wow. what have you. Normally you use it outdoors. <laughs> right. Okay, why? Because it produces a heavier smoke than dry ice and fog can produce. It's thicker, it's whiter, it's brighter colors. And outside... The other things just don't work very well. Ah, there you so go. There. Cool. Uh, in May 2005, a study was published in the American Journal of Industrial Medicine that states, cumulative exposure to mineral oil and glycol-based fogs were associated with acute and chronic adverse effects on respiratory health. It can give you dry throat, excessive coughing, headaches, dizziness, drowsiness, tiredness, and it says here, don't do it or you're going to die. <laughs> 
Oh, it sounds like uh, the last time I went to the Bieber concert, I think I had all those. No, that was just bad music. Oh, yeah. oh I can see that too. Right? Here's Machine Head. Remember, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. Bush. Continuing on, we're going to leave the effects of visual. No more smoke, no more mirrors more stuff. Okay. No, I don't have the history of mirrors here. Oh, wow. I, am, I assume somebody looked in a puddle of water and went, we could do this with something that could shatter and hurt us. <laughs> right. let's, let's do that. Yeah. All right, let's talk the electric bass guitar. Because right. there's always a bass guitar sure. on stage, right? Yeah, love that. Before the electric bass guitar... Bass fiddles were used. Right. You know, obviously the giant bull fiddle. Still used today. A lot of bluegrass bands. You got it. Yeah. You got it. But they're hard to amplify. Right. Because there's really no nice way, even with a violin or a viola, there's no real nice way to amplify it. Sure. Sometimes you attach a, uh, a microphone to the bridge. Right. Sometimes you put a microphone simply close to the instrument and have the person play. But if they move at all, the microphone is harmed. Right. Are you familiar at all with an amplification company called Ampeg? Ampeg, absolutely, yes. Okay. Ampeg is so named because they found a way to amplify the bull fiddle by attaching a specific kind of pickup device to that peg huh. that sticks out of the bottom of the bull fiddle. Hence, Ampeg. Ampeg, right. Amplified cool. peg. That's where its name came from. Brilliant. Which is how the, the company became successful. They right. had the patent on doing that. Now, who created the first electric bass guitar that was turned and played horizontally? Gene Krupa. Rather than, yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, cool. uh, some guy who sucked in a whole lot of fog. <laughs> it was probably Paul Tutmark from Seattle, Washington. Why? Huh. Because in his 1935 AudioVox sales catalog was this thing that looked like a bass guitar called the Serenader. Sold about 200 of them total. Right. So was it him? Yeah, maybe. Sure, for this maybe. show. Yeah, good enough. Sure, there's the information. Now, who do we? Who can we actually point at and say, "Yeah, that might be the guy right there." Okay. Are you familiar with Leo Fender? Yeah, absolutely. Fender, As in the right. Stratocaster and the sure. Telecaster and all that. Well, yeah, he's, he's got a name. He did. He did not only guitars. He did basses. Hmm. And when we get back, I will tell you all about the bass and what a lot of people believe is the very first bass put together by. Leo Fender, or maybe this guy from Seattle, Washington, but Leo Fender we can at least point at. Right now, a song by Free and a guy named Andy Frazier. If you remember right in the middle of All Right Now, it breaks down and plays that little bass bit. This is him, huh? That's the whole point of playing the song. Love it. See, see I, I think this stuff through. Cool. Right here on Rockstar. Then she stood in the street Smiling from my head to her feet I said, hey, what is this now, baby, maybe, maybe she's in need of a kiss I said, hey, what's your name, baby? Maybe everything's all right. Hey. 
right, second break here on Rock School. We're talking about the bass guitar. If you're just tuning in, what we're doing for an extended show, probably three, four episodes, talking about everything that's on a concert stage and the history of it. We're inside of the electric bass guitar. Leo Fender and his partner, George Fullerton, released the first mass-produced bass in 1951. It was called the Fender Precision Bass. Did you by any chance see when the police came through on their last reunion sure, tour? Sure, right. New Orleans, right. They right. passed through. Did you go to the concert or did you just uh, see pictures? I saw pictures. Yeah. Right. The bass that Sting was playing uh-huh. was an original 1951 Fender Precision. Oh, my goodness. With the uh, pickups hand-wound by... Leo Fender. That is perfect. The beauty of this thing, you get it right the first time, and then right. you try to replicate it, and they just can't replicate it as they did the first uh, first year or so, right? It, it has a tone that people love. It has split pickups instead of a single wide pickup. It has split pickups. Two strings are on one part of the pickup, two are on the other. Mm. So you can get a, a phase or a humbucking effect with absolutely no feedback because it is a solid body instrument. Humbucking. Humbucking. <laughs> it bucks the hum. Ooh, and nice. That's really what it means. I like it. It bucks the hum. Cool. Gibson follows up soon after with a violin bass, which is not the bass that Paul McCartney was playing. His was made by a company called Hoffner. Hmm. But uh, Gibson follows up with this violin bass that had an extendable pin, so you could play it upright if you wanted. Sure, yeah. Uh, the Fender Jazz was followed by the Fender Mustang. By the, uh, the Camaro follows after that, right? <laughs> That's right. Where's uh, the then, Corvette and the it, Corvair? I had a Corvair. Did you? I did. Really? Unsafe at any speed, man. And my parents let me drive it. Gibson produced the EB3, and Rickenbacker produced the 4001, and pretty much after that, basses started coming out of just about any place that could create them. But them was your first. Brilliant. If you've ever seen a Rickenbacker bass, sort of the bass that you you see... Lemmy playing. Right. It's a monstrous instrument. I mean, basses are big. Sure, absolutely. But this Rickenbacker is huge. Huh. You you can't miss it. So, uh, who are we saying hello to? Who do you Let's have? Let's see. I got a KPVL in Postville, Iowa. I, I want to go there. Uh, yeah. Who doesn't? I've heard the Marriott is beautiful. Uh-huh. Uh, KSCL in Shreveport, Louisiana, they play us as well. Thanks a whole bunch. Back in a minute on Rock School. Last break here on Rock School, and we have time to play just one song, so let me hit it real quick. We right. got uh, we got time to do a real short one. Every time you see a band that has a horn section, normally there's a... Saxophone. Saxophone, right. It was invented by a Belgian guy named Adolf Sax. Huh, okay. Yeah, really? As, and, and that's obvious, because the guitar was invented by Bob Guitar. Well, there you go. And uh, the keyboard was invented by Lou Keyboard. 
Sure, that's not true. But Adolf <laughs> Sachs is... I bought it. What am I doing? <laughs> 1846. Why? Well, because it's darn loud and it worked well in military bands. Huh. That's it. There are 14 different patents and sub-designs for a saxophone. There is the subcontrabass, the contrabass, the bass, the baritone, the tenor, the alto, the soprano, the sopranino, and the sopranissimo. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen. And then subs of those. But most people know the tenor. Which one's the saxophone. Kenny G? The what's that? There's a Kenny G version, right? Yeah. There is. Oh, that's the so. that's the soprano saxophone that <laughs> looks it. like a clarinet. Oh, okay, right. Right. <laughs> most people know the tenor sax. That's the one that's got the little dip. Sure. Comes up into the mouthpiece. And that's it. That's about as close to the history of the saxophone as I can get it. (laughs) We're running short on time. Yeah. (laughs) To end it, the song Baker Street has something named after it called the Baker Street Effect. And when it came out, it was played by a guy named Raphael Ravenscroft. He was paid 27 British pounds for the recording session, and the check bounced. Ooh. Truth. (laughs) This effect got kids more interested in playing the saxophone. It's called the Baker Street Effect. Brilliant. It, it brought the saxophone more to the forefront Are we gonna of hear kids it? playing it. I think we should end the show on it. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm Joe Burns. I'm Todd Delaney. Class is dismissed. See you next week.